Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. Hour number two of Extra Point on this Wednesday, August 2nd. Bob Cam, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today, as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Plenty to get into for hour number two. NFL, Arizona Cardinals training camp report. We'll have that upcoming here shortly. But as we typically do, let's reset the scene with today's poll questions. And we'll start with the KDOS1060.com poll question in regards to the MLB trade deadline that has come and gone. How does that help the Astros? Should the Astros be favored to win the American League because they added Justin Verlander? Yes, remains a firm contender here at 85% of the vote. No trailing at 15 percent most odds makers and uh betting locations now have the astros favored i mean this has gone back and forth you know obviously the trade deadline has certainly dictated that you know for some of the season the rays were actually first in this list to win the american league after they got off to that incredible start and we're really still really good until they played the month of July. And since then, they haven't been very good at all. In fact, they've been amongst the best, uh, excuse me, the worst. They've gone from like the best hitting team in baseball to like had the worst July of anybody offensively. Uh, so they've kind of you know, fallen by the wayside as far as uh, the betting odds go. Uh, and then after, after uh, Scherzer got traded to the Rangers, they immediately you know, went into the top spot. And then after the Astros got Verlander yesterday, they're now favored in most betting shops across the world. We'll answer that question around 1130. Still time for you to cast your vote. Over on Twitter, we had a conversation with Cassidy Hill, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, talking all things Packers. If you missed it, you can always podcast it at kdos1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app. Uh, over under seven and a half wins and the masses still remain on the underside of things at 88.9% of the vote, over sitting at 11.1%, as I mentioned on Twitter at KDOS AM 1060. Yeah, and uh, needless to say, I'm going to continue to you know harp on this for another you know, few minutes, at least for this hour. Is it, it's, it's kind of amazing that the Packers' win total of 7.5 is the same as the Bears, who won three games last year and lost the last 10 games to lose this season. We will answer that. We lost the last two to end the season. My bad. We will answer that question around 11.30. And we'll take your calls in this hour at 11.15. is the number to join the program. Shifting our attention here, though, to the Arizona Cardinals training camp practice. It was the first padded, padded practice on Tuesday. Let's get the update from camp from Aaron Decker. The pads were back on for the first time this season during the Arizona Cardinals Tuesday practice. With the pads came a more energetic practice that also brought about a little chippiness. During a one-on-one drill, rookie wide receiver Michael Wilson and second-year cornerback Christian Matthew got into each other's faces after Wilson got the better of Matthews on a couple plays. The two were separated before any fighting ensued, and Matthews did end up swatting away a possible touchdown catch from Wilson during 7-on-7s. Wilson's draft class teammate Clayton Toon 
saw some time with the first team during 11-on-11s. So far in camp, Colt McCoy is taking in the majority of first team reps, but after throwing in the first half of practice, he watched on with his helmet off. Back to Toon, though, during his first team opportunities, he was able to connect with Greg Dorch downfield for a 30-yard completion, but for the most part, he was forced to run or throw the ball away. Offensive lineman DJ Humphreys did say that he likes the cool demeanor that the rookie quarterback has showcased so far. Some players did not participate as much or at all in Tuesday's practice. Wide receiver Marquise Brown and tight end Trey McBride have not participated in the last few days, and that continued for the most part today as well. Brown did participate in some drills early on. Head coach Jonathan Gannon told the media the two are dealing with bumps and bruises. Gannon did give an update on linebacker MyJ Sanders, who is dealing with a hand injury. He was spotted in a cast early this week, but Gannon said he expects Sanders to be back shortly. Other quick standouts are running back Imari DiMercato, who had a couple big runs throughout practice, and tight end Noah Tongiai. He continues to be a primary red zone target, catching two touchdowns on Tuesday. That's going to be that for the Cardinals notebook today. The team is back at it again on Wednesday, so I'll be sure to give you any updates that I see along the way. I'm Aaron Decker from the Arizona Cardinals training camp. This is obviously the part of camp now. Things are going to get a little bit more rigorous. Uh, We're going from ramp up to grind. The pads are on. And as you've mentioned numerous times here in your time of covering the NFL, uh, it's now the part of camp where you see who started to flash with the shorts on and does it translate to the pads on? Can they play football? True. A couple things here. You mentioned Michael Wilson. He seems to be doing quite well. And uh, there have been a number of times that he's been brought up by either, you know, know, basically Cardinals executive coaches, offensive coordinator, players. He seems to be making a lot of plays. Uh, So that, that has definitely caught my ear. The other thing is, uh, how can you have bumps and bruises before you even had a pad of practice? How's that work? Or does it work in this case? Uh, well, my G Sanders is in a cast. Is that a bump and a well, bruise? Well, no, but he talked about you know, McBride and also you know, Marquise Brown. It's been several days now with mm-hmm. bumps and bruises. How do you get bumps and bruises before you even have pads on? And they didn't have pads on until yesterday. It is curious uh, because Trey McBride, from my understanding, you know, really hasn't participated as much as Hollywood Brown has participated in camp. And that seems curious with, I think, the development that you would like to see from him year over year, maybe building upon the amount of playing time that he got last year in Zach Ertz's absence with his injury. Uh, So that is a curious one to me that he's not out there. Yeah, and apparently hasn't been out there for several days. Exactly. He's out there, but not participating. The red and white practice on Saturday, that at least for now is another expected paddock padded practice. I don't know why I can't say padded today. In addition to that, there has been a time change. It has been moved up about 30 minutes or so. So time of the practice session is slated for 12.45 p.m. to 2.45 p.m. if you're wanting to head on out to see the red and white practice from State Farm Stadium. Uh, in addition to that, though, DJ Humphreys, uh, you know, he says that he's just really trying not to die out there, focusing on his blocks and his role. So that is 
least means to me that things are a little bit more intense in the padded practice portion of things where uh, maybe there's more accountability being delivered from the coaches. Uh, there's a little bit more intensity and physicality that Jonathan Gannon had talked about that he wants to instill from this. We'll see how more players say more things as practices continue to unfold in this more padded portion of of the rigors of training camp. Yeah, that sounds fair. Um, you know, Colt McCoy talked on Monday, and I didn't really have time to get into this yesterday, but a couple things that he talked about uh, that kind of uh, caught my attention. Uh, he mentioned that he's good. Uh, you know, and uh, you know, he's he's fine. I mean, there was you know speculation, in fact, early in the off season that he may not come back and might retire, but he's back, and obviously with Murray injured, he's going to be the starting quarterback at least at the start of the season. He also McCoy said in the Aaron's report there also mentioned that it's not surprising that he doesn't throw an entire practice. In fact, he's taken some days off. That's also not unusual. Uh, most starting quarterbacks are not intensively throwing every day uh, during training camp practices because you have the dead arm factor and, and uh, you know, short term uh, for the camp and preseason and then long term for the season. So that's not a surprise whatsoever. The other thing that caught my attention, Monty Austin Fort met the media yesterday. Uh, one of the things that he was heavily asked about was you know, where his attention is and how they're looking forward to the future. And one of the quotes that stood out to me here from Monty Austin Fort is, I think 100% of our focus is on this year. It's on today. It's on how we can get better today and how we can get the team rolling in the right direction for 2023. With that in mind, every decision we make affects not only this year but subsequent years so every decision we make is with an eye to the future i think that that's the right strategy and the right approach uh don't ignore what's right in front of you but also you have to be looking and, and factoring in a couple of steps ahead to really start to overall build this team because you've stripped it down and now you're starting to re-put different principles in place yeah, and they currently don't have the personnel to let's be bottom, you know, bottom line honest here. They're they're going to suck this year, uh, and uh, yeah, that's the, the, that's the route that they took, and I think it's also the right route to take. They needed to gut it at the end of last year. If there was any question of going full bore forward uh, after, you know, you know, I think that would have been eliminated after Murray was injured last season. And you since then have a new coach, new general manager, etc., a new head coach, and new general manager. So it's uh, made perfect sense to start totally over. They've done a, they did a really nice job uh, you know, acquiring draft picks for next season. Uh, they got a whole bunch of them. They might have two of the first five picks in the draft, depending on how the Houston Texans end up. Uh, and uh, it's a draft that's certainly quarterback heavy at the top. So. Uh, if they're not happy the way Murray played this year, or if they are, uh, and then maybe he has some value to be uh, you know, traded during the offseason, I would be all for that. 
I think that that's kind of where a lot of these questions are centered around, and there's been a lot of talk nationally as well about what the Arizona Cardinals are going to do and what the expectations are from Kyler Murray. When does he step out on the field? What does this new coaching staff, new front office want to see from him? Because a lot of the speculation having uh, the number one, potentially the number one overall pick or uh, you know a few of the top five picks for next year puts you in prime position to get yourself Caleb Williams if you want him. So that's kind of where I think a lot of those questions were headed. Uh, not pivot, not uh, pigeonholing yourself into an answer now, I think, is is the right move here. But Monty Austinfort set himself up for plenty of directions for this team to go as the 2020 year unfolds. Yeah, and yeah, I don't think I'm not exactly the biggest Kyler Murray fan for people that aren't regular listeners. In fact, I think I've been pretty much, uh, you know, I think I was you know, maybe ahead of the curve as far as those criticizing uh, Kyler Murray. Uh, I just don't think he's a winning NFL quarterback on a good team. That's just a bottom line. However, that being said, I don't think that Murray is going to, even if he's completely healthy and so forth when he comes back, which I assume he's going to be completely healthy, but I really don't see how he can achieve too much this year with the supporting cast around him on the offensive side of the ball at this point. You know, I think that that's an interesting point you bring up. It it does sound like from Murray's side of things, uh, the coaching staff side of things, that they're really wanting him to go through a full rehab process, that there is no reason to to rush this back on the field. So I think that that's great for the player and for the person to get yourself as healthy as you can uh, be before you're required to get back on the field. Uh, But I do think... It's interesting because you look at different quarterbacks that have recovered from ACL injuries, and I know that there's been major advancements and seems like players are recovering at much quicker rates now as well, uh, and they're coming back and almost better than ever. But I do think about, you know, an RG3 and just his style of play and how he was not really able to be the same player after his injuries and maybe that that knee situation was just way worse off than the situation for Kyler Murray so they are not comparable at all uh, when you just look at the damage that was done but just interesting the mental hurdles that Kyler will have to get over just from the style of play that he he has he relies heavily on his legs to be able to create plays and that seems like when he's his best though is sometimes scrambling around and, and making off schedule plays so just how that reacts to uh, the recovery process from the ACL injury. Two things. Uh, let's start with Murray, and I'll get to Washington in a second here uh, with the you know, RG3. First up, the Murray thing. Uh, unless there's an alarming uh, improvement from what appears to be a mediocre offensive line, the dude's going to be running for his life, and they're going to be behind in almost every game. Uh, so, you know, the other team is going to be just hell-bent on pass rushing. There's not going to be much of a reason to respect the uh, running game of the Cardinals if they're behind early and often in nearly every game, which I think most people expect. Uh, so that's um, that, that's going to be uh, – I think it's just going to be really difficult to judge Murray based on this year because of what's going on around him. As far as the RG3 thing, there's not been a sports injury – I'm not exaggerating here that I can at least think of right now that it was more mismanaged in the way that they treated him when he came back and just 
basically abused him until he was out of the league. Yeah, I know he played a couple teams after that, but he was done. Uh, in that playoff game that they actually you know, rushed him back to play where he was re-injured, he was never close to the same after that. And that was just complete you know, shocking mismanagement by the Washington football team or whatever we're supposed to call them this week. Uh, it, it reminds me that there have been few organizations in football. Uh, I can't think of a football in comparison to that. You know, the Anaheim Angels come to mind uh, as far as just basically botching up an entire decade for the most part. Uh, but Daniel Snyder and the Washington football franchise botched up like two decades. I guess they're the commanders, but I did hear that uh, they were. They mul- want to change the name again, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Well, so whatever. <laughs> they should just call them the politicians or something. What the hell? Uh, you know. It's kind of weird because at first I didn't like Washington football team and I got uh, totally confused with uh, reading, you know, when you write in a text message WTF versus WFT and I was all confused. <laughs> but then it's the same af- thing, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but then after uh, they went to the commanders, I kind of missed the Washington football team and I was like, Let, maybe, oh, okay. maybe let's go back to that. Uh, okay. but. I'm sure they'll come up with something different with new ownership, with the excitement that's surrounding all the things happening now. Your phone calls, though, next, 602-260-1060. We'll also get into Major League Baseball trade deadline teams. What to expect moving forward next. Catch the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays from 1 to 3 p.m. right here on KDUS AM 1060 and online at KDUS1060.com. So 2-260-1060, that's the number if you'd like to join the program. We'll take your calls now. It is the Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Let's have a Major League Baseball conversation now, and we'll get things started with Justin Verlander. He's back with the Astros, and to celebrate... Framber Valdez decided to go out there and pitch for the Astros. Nine innings, no hits, no runs, one walk, seven strikeouts, 93 pitches were needed, and the Astros went on to win against the Guardians 2-0. It was a huge improvement, though, for Valdez, who had a terrible July 7.29 ERA. Uh, It is the first no-hitter for the Astros since Verlander did it back in September of 2019. But obviously here for the Astros, have to think that it's just good feelings having Justin Verlander back and for Verlander seems like a no-brainer as long as everything ended copacetically uh he's familiar with everything he spent a ton of time in Houston uh probably loves the area so for him going back there all feels comfortable true um I agree with all that I've kind of been on the Astros a little bit during this season, not like I was last year when I pretty much decided on like May the 1st of last year that they were going to they were the best team uh, in the American League and really in baseball, and that obviously happened. Uh, you know, This year they've had lots of guys in and out of the lineup. Altuve, who's out of the lineup today, but I think he's just getting a day of rest today, uh, has been out twice, and Alvarez is now back. And the fact that uh, they're getting uh, you know, not just Verlander, but uh, they're getting uh, – 
gone completely blank here and forgot the, the other starting pitcher who has been out for most of the season, but he's going to be activated. He's ready to go. His rehab stint is over with, and he's going to pitch this weekend. So uh, I think that everything's looking up for the Astros, and I would be very surprised if they don't win at least the division. Uh and so for the moving around Major League Baseball, when you talk about different moves that were made here, let's go to the Baltimore Orioles. They landed Jack Flaherty from the St. Louis Cardinals, 4.43 ERA, 109 and two-thirds innings pitched, 106 strikeouts and 54 walks on the season for Flaherty. Does this really bolster the Orioles' uh, starting rotation? It definitely helps. I mean, or Jose Urquidy is who I was trying to think of for Houston. He's supposed to be back this weekend. Obviously, he's been a very effective pitcher for them in the past, including a lot of their playoff runs in the last couple of years. All right, on to the Orioles. Uh, you know, I think I've been preaching for four, three, three, four months, like since they got off to a good start again. And, you know, a lot of people thought last year was a fluke, and I kind of fell into that category, not totally, but sort of. Uh, they got off to a great start, and, you know, they've been unbelievable, and all these young kids have really not just, you know, shown up. They've been good. And they, opposed to some other teams that bring up young players, these guys understand, it seems, how to play baseball. So they're talented, and they've been taught how to play the game in the minor league system. Uh, so good for them. Uh, the you know Kyle Gibson wasn't gonna certain you know, they weren't gonna go terribly far in the postseason if he's your number one starter. Now Flaherty has been good lately. Uh, he's uh, I don't know if he's uh, been just disinterested in St. Louis, which I can kind of understand because you're played on a winning team your whole life and now they suck. Uh, and they also they went from one of the best defensive teams to one of the worst. Uh, which is, to me, the biggest, you know, that's the thing that surprises me the most in St. Louis. But the, the, the Orioles play tremendous defense, and they're very athletic. And uh, so this seems to be a very good fit. And uh, it was, uh, you know, Flaherty was out there yesterday, and at the deadline they were actually talking about the Braves trying to get him. So maybe they did, and they just got out, you know, outbid by the uh, – by the Orioles and both the Atlanta and Orioles systems certainly had plenty to offer to get him. Uh, then you also have the Phillies. They went out and got Michael Lorenzen from the Tigers, 105 and two-thirds innings pitch, 3.58 ERA, 83 strikeouts, 27 walks. Does this change the Phillies' fortunes? Yeah, it's good. I mean, he doesn't have to be the first or second starter, obviously. I mean, you know, they've got that taken care of with Nola and Wheeler. Uh, and then they've actually got some very good contributions from some other guys in uh, their rotation, and I think their their bullpen is especially deep. So I like the Phillies. I uh, don't like the fact that they can't seem to catch a fly ball, uh, whether it's hit the left field, center field, or right field, no matter who's playing out there. Uh, that would be helpful if you could just make a routine play in the outfield. Uh, but their infield defense, which was also bad last year, has gotten better. I know Trey Turner's having an awful season at the plate, but he's still better. He's a good defensive player. Stott's a really good second baseman. Harper is playing first. He's okay, uh, but uh, yeah, they've gotten better. I like the Phillies. Uh, yeah, adding Lorenzen will definitely help them in their wild card push. And right now they're in the, uh, I wouldn't say the wild card driver's seat because what are they like one game ahead or whatever it is, but. 
I would uh, say of the teams that are in the wild card chase right now, I would uh, be most willing to bet your money on the Phillies to make the playoffs. Hey now, hey now. Uh, the Tampa Bay <laughs> Rays, they added pitcher Aaron Savali, and we obviously know uh, the Rays and their starting pitcher situation fiasco this year. Yeah, he's that's a good fit for them. Um, he's uh, you know, assuming the Rays start catching the ball again. Uh, I mentioned earlier that uh, they went from you know one of the best offensive teams, and in some cases the best offensive team in baseball, until we got to July, and then we got to July, and they were the low. They had the they scored the fewest runs per game than any team in baseball in the month of July. That they also played some really uncharacteristically bad defense suddenly. Uh, I don't know if guys are taking their hitting woes out to the, the field with them, but if they you know, kind of regain their offensive, or excuse me, their defensive level of play from earlier in the season, Savali uh, and the uh, Rays should be a good fit. I was a little surprised that they maybe had another arm. I'm not looking for something spectacular, uh, but uh, you know they need. I think more than him because they've been decimated by starting pitching injuries to frontline guys, losing three of their top five guys for the season. That's uh, pretty difficult for anybody to overcome. You talked about the Braves here. They did add reliever Brad Hand from the Rockies. Yeah, that's pretty much all the Braves did for the last week or so. But, you know, they have the most established lineup in baseball. It's basically the same eight guys every day. The one thing I think the Braves, I was a little surprised they didn't do, is that Eddie Rosario cannot play left field. Uh, yeah, he can. You know, he, he, they got. He, he cannot. He should not be an everyday player. Their other seven guys, those guys are unbelievably good. Uh, they have the best offensive baseball. They have the best team in baseball. I've said this like for a month now. Max Fried's supposed to be back any day now. Uh, and he's supposedly down, done with the rehab stint and is going to start in the next couple of days here. I think because they've given us false alarms before, they've been pretty much reluctant to my knowledge, at least as of yesterday, they were still reluctant to say when exactly he might pitch. And Kyle Wright's still ready to come back uh, in, in later this month or early September. And he's barely pitched it. I think, I think he pitched like one game this season. And uh, he was the only guy that won 20 games in baseball last season. Uh, I think uh, right now, if you had to pick somebody to win the World Series, uh, I would be picking Atlanta. But I'm going on the premise that uh, at least Freed and hopefully Freed and Wright will return this season. So the trade that didn't happen, the Dodgers thought they had a deal with the uh, Tigers for starter Eduardo Rodriguez. But he had a 10-team no-trade clause, and he said no to this deal. The Tigers completely botched this whole thing. This should have been determined days ago. I mean, it's not like he just walked in yesterday morning and said, here's my 10 teams on my no-trade list. That's under his contract before the season started. So they knew the 10 teams that he had a no-trade list. They should have talked about this with the Dodgers a long time ago. Maybe they did, but it sure didn't seem like that from Andrew Friedman's reaction yesterday from the Dodgers that we thought we had a deal and then we didn't. I think that might be his exact quote. It was close to that, what he, close to what he exactly said. Scott Harris is like a first-time general manager. 
he completely screwed this up. Uh, and you know, I kind of, I don't, I don't know what the family situation is where Rodriguez wants to stay close to the east, closer to the east coast, and his family's in Florida. Uh, so we'll see what's up with that. But it seems absurd that Eduardo Rodriguez, who could have brought the Tigers a lot in return, is still on the Tigers today. That seems to be the most screwed up thing of the entire deadline, except for the Angels, of course. Uh, but the most screwed up individual thing of the deadline, and it appears that a first-time general manager just completely botched this situation beyond belief. And if I'm understanding Eduardo Rodriguez's contract situation correctly as well, he can opt out after this year, or right. and so therefore the Tigers could potentially get nothing for him. Exactly. They get like a compensatory draft pick, and you know, good luck with that. Uh, then the other things that caught my attention here is that the Blue Jays added shortstop Paul DeJong after Bo Bichette left with an injury, but you had at least what seemed like a decent uh, injury report from the Blue Jays regarding Bo Bichette. Maybe. I'm not sure. I'm a little confused of this whole thing with Bichette. I mean, they uh, said, you know, they didn't have structural damage, had an MRI. That sounds great. But then they said he's day-to-day. However, there are also reports like two minutes after they said he's day-to-day that he might be headed to the injured list, which is not day-to-day. The Yankees got a reliever, Kenyon Middleton, from the White Sox. Um, Was that enough? God, no. Uh, If I'm Aaron Judge, and God knows what he's done physically to come back and play uh, from the injury, and if you – Aaron Judge can't run right now. I mean, he tried to go from first to third. He did make it, but it was, you know, it wasn't a throw to, it wasn't a close play, but he was visibly limping from first to third. I don't remember if that was last night or the night before, but it's been the last couple of days. If you're him and you busted your butt to get back and play this year and they did nothing, I'd be pretty pissed off. But then again, they're paying him like a billion dollars for the rest of the, until the end of time. But I would be very disappointed that his, that organization, he's the captain of the team. <laughs> that organization did not do more. And it was a complete confusion festival. You know, the, I, heard, I saw Meredith, uh, Meredith Barakovitz on, uh, on the Alana Rizzo show this morning. And you know, she was talking about how they were actually players in the Yankees clubhouse yesterday, wondering if they might get traded or not. Uh, they, were, they were actually, they were apparently trying to sell before the deadline yesterday, and they uh, kind of tried to bury that and below the surface somewhat. Uh, finally, uh, AJ Pollock traded to the Giants, and so now he's been a member of three of the five NL West teams. Yeah, and as somebody who was a huge A.J. Pollock fan when he first was here, and God bless him, he just can't stay healthy, and he's been out injured most of this season, and he's been bad when he's played, and he was actually injured when the Diamondbacks drafted him out of Notre Dame many years ago. Uh, I think that uh, it's a legitimate question to ask if he's just finished. Well, we will ask kind of the polar opposite of being finished. 
Are they now the favorites to win the American League? The uh, Houston Astros with the addition of Justin Verlander will answer that question as the KDOS1060.com poll question on the other side of the break. In addition to that, we'll bring it back around to the NFL with the 2023 version of the Packers. Over seven and a half wins or under seven and a half wins. We'll answer all of that upcoming on the other side of the break. It is the extra point on this Wednesday, August 2nd. Always follow along with us online at kdos1060.com and with the kdos1060 app powered by superbook sports poll questions are next Every Monday night, check out Ray Adams as he hosts the Monday Night Golf and Lifestyle Show from 6 to 7 p.m. here on KDUS AM 1060. here on KDOS AM 1060 on this Wednesday, August 2nd. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays as we typically do in this segment. Let's dive into the poll questions and we'll start with the KDOS1060.com poll question in regards to the Major League Baseball trade deadline. I do want to point out, though, that Bob had a great conversation with Matt Snyder of CBSSports.com in the 9 o'clock hour, and if you missed it, you can always podcast over at kdos1060.com or with the kdos 1060 app here's the question should the astros be favored to win the american league because they traded uh and added justin verlander yeah a little more on that conversation with matt if people missed it earlier i used a little different approach because you've probably listened to people for the last 20 hours or so talk about who won the deadline and la da da uh, what I did is we went through the divisions and tried to figure out who benefited the most and who might actually, you know, now be a playoff team that wasn't before or who wins a division, etc. So that's kind of the approach that I took there. As far as the question goes, uh, and, uh, Matt is uh, on the Astros. I am too. And uh, at least as of right now, this depends on injuries, especially with the Braves pitching staff and so forth. Uh, but I think that right now, to me at least, clearly Houston and Atlanta are the overwhelming favorites in my alleged brain uh, to be in the World Series this year. Uh, so, yeah, I'm looking at this and I'm like, OK, this is probably just a coincidence. Right. But Fran Bear Valdez uh, going out there and pitching like he did and uh, it, the vast improvement that he had from July, that'll sh- certainly help, though, if he stays more consistent to uh, what we've kind of come to know from Fran Bear Valdez. I do think for the Astros, maybe the bats need to wake up just a little bit. But getting Verlander back, that certainly does something to the mental psyche of the team as well. So I I think that this puts the Astros in great position to be favored to win the American League uh, because they added Justin Verlander. So I'm on the yes side. Okay, a couple things. You know, the Valdez thing, I need to see him go against anything other than, you know, the the Guardians have conceded. Uh, You know, they traded off, you know, three offensive players in the last week. Their offense was bad before then, uh, so they're done. 
that lineup that the Guardians put out there yesterday against Valdez was closer to a triple-A team than it is a major league team offensively. So, you know, hopefully uh, for my sake and others, fantasy owners of Framber Valdez, that's a good sign for the future because he's been not good lately. He's also not been anywhere near what he was pre you know, hamstring injury about four or five starts ago. Uh, but uh, he looked good yesterday, but it was against a, you know, a team that is not a major league caliber offense at this point, which wasn't good all year and then is, is really feeble at this point. As far as the Astros offense goes, you know, the fact that uh, they've missed Alvarez and Altuve and Brantley has yet to play a game this season, but it looks like he might be back any day. I think that their offense, if they just have those three guys in the lineup, and in, uh, even in Brantley's case, just relatively healthy, they're going to be much better on offense than they've been for the majority of the season. Uh, the masses are on the yes side of things. 81% of the vote, no trailing at 19%. That is KDOS1060.com's poll question. Let's toss it on over to Twitter at KDOSAM1060. Cassidy Hill from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel joined us talking all things Green Bay Packers. If you missed it, podcast KDOS1060.com as well as the KDOS1060 app. Here we go with the question. The 2023 Packers over seven and a half wins or under uh, seven and a half wins. And I think... You know, just kind of looking through the schedule for the Packers, you know, there was that stretch between week 10 through 13 that I think is probably going to be the toughest stretch for them. But then everything else in terms of toughness, I think is just more, who is this Packers team going to be? How long does it take them to get readjusted to a new quarterback? Uh, how long does it take them to get what they want accomplished on defense accomplished? I think those are some question marks there just internally about the direction of the Packers team uh, and I, I think it also reflects on the fact that there's just so many potential growing pains that come with that and therefore you could lose some close games because of that you're just not 100% in command of some of the little intricacies that maybe the a, a more experienced quarterback can get you in and out of plays a more experienced quarterback can get you in and out of understanding the 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 snap the snap counts understanding uh the play clock how to work all of that sort of stuff so little nuances and things here and there i did think though that vegas was like spot on with seven and a half and i was like oh gosh that's a really good number so i want to stay far away from this uh but to answer the question i would lean in the direction of under seven and a half wins Okay, I totally agree that this is the right number, uh, but they have a really soft schedule. Uh, they're one of, uh, I believe it's three teams that they play the fewest playoff teams from last year in the league. They only play six teams that made the playoffs last year. Uh, I think this division, I don't think anybody in this division is particularly good. Uh, maybe I'm wrong about that. I'm not buying the Lions thing. I'm not sure what I think of the Vikings. Uh, so we'll see on that. The Bears, I don't think, are going to go from three wins to whatever and be decent this year. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, so if I had to do anything, I would actually go over the seven and a half here. But there is zero chance, and I mean zero chance with a capital Z-E-R-N-O, that I'm going to be betting on this. 
The masses are on the under at 88.9% of the vote, over sitting at 11.1%. That is on Twitter at KDUS AM 1060. As promised, the numbers from Vegas in regards to the NFC North. The Lions, though, plus 145. The Vikings sitting at plus 260. The Packers plus 350. And the Bears at plus 430 uh, from Vegas to win that division. Some numbers here. I think this is really hard if you were to try to get in the prop market for the Green Bay Packers just because we don't have any idea really what to expect uh just 10 games uh played for jordan love and i don't even think that would be uh, a full game for some of those contests that he was suited up in uh jordan love over 3,300 and a half yards or under 3,300 and a half yards that's minus 112 from fanduel aaron jones over 825 and a half yards under 825 and a half yards minus 112 aj dillon over 675 and a half yards under 675 and a half yards minus 112 and then Christian Watson to see if we can uh, continue to see him break out he's sitting at over 850 and a half yards and under 850 and a half yards all minus 112 yeah I think it's difficult uh, as you mentioned with uh, to come up with anything as far as love I really can't come up with anything as far as Aaron Jones goes either because, you know, is he going to score any touchdowns? Is he, is he or Dylan getting the goal line carries? He's tremendous catching the ball out of the backfield, but Jordan Love in his days at Utah State was a horrendously bad short passer. Uh, you know, he couldn't even complete a swing pass at Utah State. He was actually really good his next to last year at Utah State when they had by far the most talent in their in their conference. Those guys, most of them left in his last year at Utah State. He was as mediocre as you could get as a college quarterback. We'll see how the season unfolds. They kick it off on the road with the first two weeks on the road, actually, on the road at Chicago and on the road at the Atlanta Falcons. And the Falcons themselves have some question marks uh, with turning the reins over to a new quarterback. They do have themselves a pretty darn explosive running back, though, in Bijan Robinson. Uh, we will wrap up this Wednesday, August 2nd edition of Extra Point on the other side of the break. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. One more segment to go here in the Extra Point. here for KDUS AM 1060. Check out your favorite shows and games on 100.7 KSLX HD2. Second edition of Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It's that time once again. It is thank you time. 
As always, we thank you for listening. Special thanks to the callers, emailers, tweeters, texters, whomever, and whatever else slipped through the cracks. Also, our guest today, plural, uh, MLB post-deadline analysis with Matt Schneider from CBSSports.com. We went through the divisions and kind of figured out what might happen now after all the trades have been made. And also, we had a Packers preview with Cassidy Hill, who still has that Oklahoma twang, which I like. That's good. Uh, she's, she's from Oklahoma. At least she worked in Oklahoma, I know, before she went to Milwaukee uh, from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, Cassidy Hill. Also, we'll conclude our NFC North uh, previews tomorrow, 9-15 with the Lions, 9-15 on Friday with the Vikings. Special thanks, as always, to uh, the, uh, the courtesy sound courtesy of WCBS 880, NBC, Cairo, Fox, ESPN, KLAA, uh, WSCR and also WTMJ and special thanks as always to uh, Kayla, Corey and Aaron and Kayla's going to tell us what's coming up next. That's right. Coming up next from noon to one o'clock it is Sports Map Radio Network followed by the Doug Gottlieb show from one to three, the Rich Eisen show from three to five, the Sports Zoo with Dave Rooster Bierstein from five to six. So it was uh, long awaited and it was finally delivered to the Pac-12. The Pac-12 media rights deal presented is believed to have a heavy streaming component from Apple, Apple TV. It would start in the 2024-2025 season and was um, relatively low based on league hopes. The deal has a chance to be competitive with the Big 12 and the ACC if certain subscription numbers are met. That is all according to the reporting of ESPN's Pete Thamel. Uh, This obviously can't be great news for presidents and athletic directors who are waiting for this deal to unfold. And subsequently, I think you're starting to hear more things about uh, the Arizona schools, Utah, potentially with the Big 12. And then I know you saw a report about uh, Oregon, Washington, and Stanford and the Big 10 potentially getting into some talks. Correct. Yeah, Thamel also reported yesterday that Utah, you know, I'm going to paraphrase here, basically Utah is looking to get out of the Pac-12, which they should do. Uh, the U of A, they seem to want to go to the Big 12. Uh, that seems like a logical place for Utah. And uh, ASU, if they don't join the U of A, if, they, uh, if the U of A joins the Pac-12, if, the U, if ASU stays in this conference, they're making a huge mistake. I concur with that. Just there it, it's i think it's sad what has happened to the pac-12 but if you are holding on to any sort of nostalgia you're missing what's happening in the landscape of college athletics and you have to do what's best for for the university and for the athletic programs to to move agreed totally As always, we appreciate you listening to the show right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Everyone has yourselves a fantastic rest of your Wednesday, and we will talk to you tomorrow. Of course, that preview with the Lions, 915 in the Sports Zone. Talk to you then.